Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Within our body and in our body being the temple, but what comes at us in regards to this enemy? And so we're going to take some time today to talk through this and We've been, we've been kind of encouraging, or at least I have, if you want to go deeper in this, in discipleship to understanding these enemies and understanding that the devil wants to get into your thoughts, he wants to bring ideas to your mind, illusion, falseness, and then what happens is we begin to live those because we're believing them so much and then we begin to actually act in them. And sooner or later, we wake up one day, and we're looking in the mirror, and we're like, oh, my gosh, like, I've been feeding into this lie for all of my life. Now I'm actually living this lie. And in this book uh, called Live No Lies, which I highly encourage, and I've been saying, if you, want, if you read this book, if you, if you digest this, if you dive into this, written by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, I, I personally, I'll take you out to coffee, and I want to have a conversation with you on what you've thought about this, and and what, are the, what, are, what, are, what is the Spirit saying to you in, in regards to the, the lies that we're living? And so in this book, I had to take it uh, a story out of this because I never heard of this character, this individual named Woody Allen. Just beyond my time, uh, Grandma Liz, she already put her head up. She knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so in the book, he talks about this, 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 this guy, famous, I believe, photographer, videographer, within Hollywood, that kind of realm. And in the book, what John Mark Comer says is, he says Woody Allen basically has a family and he adopts some children. And one of his, I'm I'm paraphrasing a lot of this, one of his children, when she becomes a a freshman in college, comes back home and he sees uh, basically uh, really inappropriate photos that he, the, the wife walks into the room and sees her husband and, and then there's pictures of, the wife's daughter, adopted daughter, and the husband took photos of her. And at this point, she's a freshman in college, and so the wife confronts Woody Allen, and he says, I'm building a relationship with her. His, his adopted daughter. And so I'm like reading this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not know about this, right? And so he goes on to date her, and then he marries her. And in an interview of Time Magazine, the interviewer probed Alan's heart for some kind of regret or apology or even moral uncertainty, but Alan refused to admit he did anything wrong. Then the interviewer asked, why, why did you do it? Then the famous iconic line emerged, the heart wants what it wants. Have you heard that saying? I know I have, and I didn't know the origin of it. That's pretty, if I could use this language, that is evil at the core of evil. And yet we're, like, we can't be okay with that, right? We have to realize that there is something incredibly wicked and evil, and I would even go as far to say demonic about that. So this off-the-cuff saying has entered not only the vernacular, but also the belief system of our generation. It's become sort of a self perpetuating justification, I'm justified in this, for anything from adultery to chocolate cake, right? The flesh. I want the chocolate cake and we just go and get it, right? That's like at the core, it's like kind of elementary of the flesh, right? A kind of get out of jail free card saying that falls outside of the lines of moral tradition or obligation, 
So think with me when you go to the grocery store. At least for me, I'll, I'll give you from like a man, man's perspective, right? If I'm at the grocery store and I'm getting food or I'm buying something really quick, what happens is like there's the magazine section, right? And then it's like Ryan Gosling, right? <laughs> and he's good looking and, you know, his, his muscles are popping out. And, you know, it's like, man, then you, at least I'm like, oh, man, I got I to gotta work out and I got to work hard and I got to eat healthy. And then right next to that are like all of the chocolate uh, beauty and wonder, right? I love chocolate. <laughs> or what about like the James Bond guy? I forget the guy's, the actress's name, right? He's just like that guy looking good on the beach. And it's like, man, I, I, I got to do something about my body. I got to work out and I got to work harder. And, and again, nothing wrong with working out. I love working out. I love being healthy and, and taking care of my body. But what happens is we sort of go to this flesh perspective of, oh, that's the solution, Right? Then above the magazines, like I said, are the chocolate goodness. And maybe for me, if you've been a part of our church long enough, it's the cookie monster at afters for me. <laughs> so what Woody Allen called the heart is closer to what the New Testament writers called the flesh. He said the heart wants what it wants. And to paraphrase that in light of the scripture, the flesh wants what it wants, doesn't it? To begin, let's look at Paul's language to the Ephesians. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1 through 3, we'll have it up on the screen, but turn there with me if you want to write anything down. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, there it is, flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Notice the three enemies that early apprentices of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, theologians, those that studied the scriptures, they were the, the ones who came up with the language of the three enemies of the soul. Notice the three enemies, the world, it says, you followed the ways of this world, the flesh, you gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and then the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Do you see those three enemies? So as we dive into this conversation of the flesh, remember the devil's strategy is deceitful ideas, the thought, that play into disordered desires. We'll talk about the desires, the flesh. And what it's, by the way, it's not like, Tupac is still alive, like living in New Mexico. I'm sorry if you think he is. He's not, right? It's not that lie that the enemy will come and bring to you. It's more deeper in the human heart than that. It's, it bends in the wrong direction. It bends towards sort of like dying, like, like your, your soul is, is dying on a regular basis, and eventually that dark side of the soul will take you all the way down to hell. It's more like, Porn is normal and, and a healthy part of growing up. And sexual exploration is key to living a satisfying, healthy life. That's what it's more like, right? It starts with a thought. It starts with an idea. And it, then it's played out into our, our desires. And here's the tough part. The human heart, as Woody pointed out, to follow your own heart, or how our culture points that out, right? We have a really, like, disease-like symptom in our souls. And if we're not careful, it's going to lead us and rule us 
I mean, let's just be honest. Can we just be real, right? Like, am I the only one who kind of senses this in our culture and even in our own lives? If we're not careful, if we don't have the Spirit of God at the prefrontal cortex of our lives, our minds, our being, we will so quickly drift away into the things of the flesh. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, in every one of us, there is a war going on, a civil war. And if you were to open up the scriptures to Romans chapter uh, 7, Paul, he paints this beautifully when he says, I want to do right, I want to live right, I want to know the word and know the law and the scriptures, but why is it that there's this enemy in my soul, there's this war taking place where I want to do right, but yet I do wrong? You see, the human heart is is beautiful, but it's also incredibly mysterious. It's full of desires that are complex and that contradict each other. For example, I want to love Lenya and Zoe really well. I want to be a really good father. I want to raise them in the ways of Jesus and help them reach their full potential in life. But also, when I get home from work from a long day, I just sort of want to clock out. And not take Lenya to the park and spend time with her. I just, so there's just some days where I just want to sit and watch TV and, and just not be present. Or I, I want to be a generous man, truly, at the core of my being. I want to be a generous man and be free from the cancer of greed and be content with what I have. But I also have a bunch of new stuff that I want. And I don't need it, but I really want it. <laughs> So I'll just go for a quick shop and, and I'll pick it up really quick. It's not that bad, right? See, the, the flesh and the desire and it's just, it's no big deal. But we think at that level it's no big deal. But it, it, there's a compound effect of that, right? I also want to experience God in prayer. I want to know his heart. I want to sense his presence. I want him to be with me as I know he is. But I want to actually experience him in my day-to-day life. And yet I want to sleep in. Because the, 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 morning, the night before, I want to watch Netflix and just hang out and relax and stay up late. And, and then I can't wake up early because I want to sleep in and just, and just like, oh, I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. or 5.30 to be with God. But to make things even more confusing, the cultural messaging that we're receiving from the world around us is this. Follow your heart. Why would you listen to those things? Follow your heart, man. Be true to yourself. Be you. Or I like this one more. (laughs) Be you, baby boo. Right? (laughs) Don't let anyone else tell you what to do. Why on earth would you do that? Follow whatever your heart says to do. Does that sound pretty common in our culture? You see, Western culture is built around the idea that our internal desires are our best roadmap that we have to the good life. And we can thank the enlightenment and period in the Western world for that. That says, it's okay, it's all right, you gotta just feed into those desires and those urges and that animalistic perspective. That's actually who we are at the core, so why would you sort of push away those desires? That's a part of our human experience. It's not external authority, It's not wisdom, both wisdom from God or scripture or church. So then this raises a question with a dilemma, isn't it? Which self am I to be true to? I had to get all the way 
all the way to that point to share this with you, because you might say this is like Babylon talk, and that's the worldly language, but no, you have different selves to you. You have a true self, an authentic self, and then you have a false self, a dark self, an unhealthy self. Which self are you true to? Or which self is authentic to me, right? As the psychologist Richard Benner put it this way, what we call I is really a family of many part selves. What Benner is after is that we are full of all sorts of desires, all sorts of perspectives, all sorts of cravings. And some of them are good and noble and just and honest and biblically centered and lead us to life and peace and freedom and wonder in that abundant life that Jesus speaks about. But the other desires are evil and lead to compulsion and lead us to a sort of death, don't they? So this enemy of our soul is the flesh that we have to be hyper aware of. Remember, the enemy doesn't come with weird conspiracies, like I said, like Tupac being alive. It's more like, hey, or, or, or uh, this, I like this one. <laughs> it's not like the enemy comes to you and says, hey, you, the world is flat. <laughs> I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble if you think the world is flat. <laughs> but maybe he does do that, but that's not what I'm after here, right? It's more so like, hey, you, you're not happy in your marriage. You two just aren't really the right fit. Your personalities are clashing all the time. So if you were to divorce him or her and marry someone else, then you would be happy. Those are where the desires and the unhealthy evil thoughts come from. The the word Paul and other writers use for this sort of enemy that is so easily manipulated for the wrong desires is, again, our flesh. And it's translated in Greek as sarks, S-A-R-X, which means flesh, sinful passions, sinful nature, or corrupt desire. That's what the flesh looks like. Basically, the flesh is our animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, but also to pleasure in general, and instincts, right, for survival and and domination or desire to be in control. These are sort of the the landmarks of what the flesh truly wants, control and domination and the sensual part of our being and getting whatever we want and doing whatever we want with whoever we want, right? Yet the New Testament is incredibly open about the dark side of the heart. The reason why I say this is because when we gather with the people of God, we are so afraid to talk about these things, right? And it's like the enemy has even done that in our spaces of community where he makes it seem like these desires that, yes, we have, we can't come clean with, we can't be honest with, we can't share what's going on at the deepest part of our lives, And yet, because we hold that into our dark box, the enemy knows how to use that against us. And I've shared this a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, but it breaks my heart that there may be people in this room that you have really dark, broken secrets that you've not told a soul, you haven't told anybody about because of shame or what you've done and what you might think that the other person could think, right? But remember, that is the ploy of the enemy, that you wouldn't say anything, bring it up, right? Talk about it. Yet the New Testament is in com- com- it's, it's incredibly open about this. 
the dark side of our heart. And we're invited to explore it, understand it without shame, under the loving, compassionate God that we serve. The fact is, inside all of us, is an invisible but real war of our being between our flesh and our spirit, right? The flesh and the spirit. But many don't realize that our strongest desires, you have strong desires that when you go, you want that, that chocolate candy, right? Or you want the, mon- the, the cookie monster at afters. Or maybe they're, they're more deeper than that, right? It's a con- uh, condescending remark to your coworker or objectifying another person with lust, or just to buy something that you do not need. In that moment of temptation, you see you have strong desires that are not necessarily your or my deepest desires. In that moment, it's feel is, it feels overwhelming, right? But those desires are not actually what the longings of our soul are for which is your authentic self or the deepest layer of your soul. So if you, were, you and I were to sit and really ask yourself, what are your deepest desires at the core of your being? What do you really want in life? One, if you haven't asked that question, you gotta do that like as soon as humanly possible. Like sit with, with God and, and have a journal, read some scripture, wake up a little bit early in the morning or get off work and kind of turn all the noise off and ask yourself, what are the deepest longings of my soul? My guess is if you go deep enough, you ache for God himself to live in his love and to let your body become a place where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. To become a person of love And that, that's a gift of the spirit, which by the way, is at work in your spirit. When we long for that at the deepest core of our being, when we know Christ, when we know his word and his will for us, those deep longings come to the surface when we ache and long for God, and we realize that it's his spirit that's at work in your spirit, that's at work in who you are. See, when people pass away, we never hear their story in a sense where it's like, man, they really partied a lot. They just kind of lived it up. They were the life of the party, and man, they had a, they, it was crazy for them. Or they got drunk all the time, and it was just, man, it was bad all the time, right? We don't hear those things. Or he or she was just a really mean, rigid person. Like, I've never gone to a funeral and heard those things talked about a person. Instead, it's the longings of the deepest part of who they are, right? When people die, we honor the best parts of their character. It's of love. We talk about love, right? They were a loving person. Or they, to be a loyal person, to live in humility, or generosity and sacrifice, all of which required the denial of their flesh and their disordered desires, You see, our deepest desires usually for God himself and to be people of love and of his kingdom. That's usually what our deepest desires are. So you hear what I'm saying? You have strong desires that are at the surface of the flesh in your life. 
But underneath that are really deep desires that long for God and beauty and wonder, that abundance, that if you are a disciple apprentice of Jesus, there are those deep desires deep within the core. And I would go as far to say, even if you are a non-believer, or if even if you're falling towards, I don't really know about this God, you still have strong desires 100%, but there still is at the deepest core of who you are, deep aching desires of a better life. But these are often sabotaged by, again, the flesh. Then this is exasperated or or the sort of gas is thrown on the flame in our culture when we're told to follow our desires in our heart. Do you see the the, the contradiction there? We must be people that follow the spirit of God, that follow his way, follow his goodness, yet we live in a culture that says to do the complete opposite. And so if we're not careful, we will fall under the trap of the enemy, the devil, when we feed into the flesh and the desires of our own soul. And I said this maybe last week or the week before, it might not be the devil, my friend, it might be you. You might be the problem at times, right? It's like, why would you go and do that, right? I mean, we talk to to, to guys on a regular basis and it's like, why would you go and, and make that scene? Like, why would you go and yell at your wife? You know, why would you go and, and push your wife? Why would you go do? And it's like, we realize that the flesh, if we just feed into that all day, you better believe that's going to be what's most present in your life. And you know what breaks my heart? I just have to publicly say this because it's really frustrating. And I have to ask God not to make me legalistic in this. But I talk to men on a regular basis, and one of the questions I ask is like, where's your faith journey at? Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, okay, so you're a Christian? Yeah, I believe. Okay, awesome. And it's like, great. But why are you doing all these things if you say you're a Christian? Like, it's, it's not adding up to me. And then I have to ask the question, which, again, is between them and God, but I have to ask the question, like, are they really even true disciples of Jesus? If we're... We're making a habit of the flesh. If we're making a habit of the things that actually bring corrosion to our soul, are we truly followers, disciples at the core of our being? Are we apprentices of our rabbi Jesus if we're just feeding the flesh all the time? And then we find ourselves in really bad situations. And it's like, man, I don't know if that was the devil as much as that was like you. (laughs) Why did you do that? Well, you were feeding into the flesh. And if you feed into that more than you feed in the spirit, you will get that result in, our, in your life, right? I know I will. If I'm not on a regular basis feeding my mind, my thought, my soul, my being with the word of God, with the truth of who he is, if I'm not surrounding myself with people that will challenge me, that will call me to more, that will speak life into me, then eventually I will fall into the trap of the flesh, and we have to be people that are aware of these, of this enemy of our soul. And what we're told not to do is not to crucify these things, right? In reality, from what we're learning, to follow your heart is some of the worst advice someone could ever give you. Honestly. Like, that is just not good advice. Like, let your emotions lead you, man. Go for it. <laughs> Like, I don't know, like that, 
that's going to lead to chaos really fast. Remember, God has given us emotion for a reason, right? He has given us emotion. Even if I could say this, anger, if it's done in a healthy manner, which I would say 99.9% of us don't know how to get angry in a healthy manner. But those emotions actually speak to what's going on in our soul. There's a reason why you've gotten angry. There's a reason why you're falling into depression. There's a reason why you feel sadness. There's a reason why you feel these moments of emotion, but you can't let those emotions lead your life. That's allowing your emotions to take the driving force of your life. And then we begin to live in those defects and not the things that God has truly given us at the deepest core of our being. Is this making sense? The flesh is a really, really heavy enemy that comes against all of us. This is where Jesus called to deny yourself. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean, deny myself? It's sort of the secret to life, if I'll be honest. It's the secret to to, to abundance and joy and peace. That, that, I would argue, is one of the secrets to knowing who we are at the deepest core of our being when we begin to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Imagine if every one of us started doing that starting today. I will no longer allow myself to have precedence over the decisions that I make. I won't allow the flesh to rule me anymore. I'm going to deny those things, and I'm going to pick up the cross, my cross. All of us have a cross, by the way, and the cross is, is built, I'll be honest with you, it's built with suffering. It's not easy all the time. It's not, man, this is romantic, and I just love Jesus, and it's awesome. We ought to love Jesus, but what happens when suffering comes over our lives? Can you still say, Jesus, I love you, you are good, you are my good shepherd when you lead me in the valley? You know that's what Psalm 23 says? There is suffering that can happen in all of our lives. But when we allow the flesh to take place and our emotions, right, we, we like hop out of the van really quick on the road to Christ-likeness when we allow our sufferings to take place ownership of our life and say, I can't do this with you anymore, God. I thought you were better than this. I thought that I wouldn't go through this. When yet Jesus said, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world. So deny yourself, pick up your cross. And here's the theologian uh, Cornelius Plantinga. He said this, in such a culture as ours, and which I find this fascinating because he wrote this like hundreds of years ago, Right? In such a culture as ours, the self exists to be explored, indulged, and expressed, but not disciplined or restrained. I'm going to read that again because it's so good. In such a culture as ours, the self, right, whatever the heart wants you do, the self, it must be explored. It must be indulged. It must be expressed, but not disciplined or restrained. So the self that Jesus is calling us to deny and even to put to death on the cross isn't our authentic true self before God. It's our flesh. He's telling you and I as disciples, put your flesh on the cross, rid yourself of that stuff, and follow me. 
This keeps us from actualizing our true self in God. So again, the irony of our cultural moment to follow our heart and do what we want. That's the irony. And the more we, the more we do this, the more we devolve or deform, if I could use that language, into the lowest common denominator. Does that make sense? I know this is heavy. Are you guys good? Like, when we feed into this fleshly, animalistic perspective, these animalistic appetites, what happens is we begin to devolve or deform at the lowest common denominator. And then the more we follow our flesh, the more we lose the beauty and the wonder of life itself. I would go as far as to say this. When we follow our flesh, we devolve into our animalistic appetites. But watch this. It makes us all very common. Greed, lust, domination, ego, narcissism, fear. The list goes on and on, right? Which all are remarkably similar. Haven't you noticed that our flesh-like appetites make us really, really common? Have you noticed that? It's like, oh man, there's like... There's a lot of commonality in the world that we're living in when it comes to sin and the flesh and and evil and wickedness. But the more we deny our flesh and follow under Jesus and his teachings and abide in him, the more unique we become and grow into our true self before God. Did you know that? That the more you follow Jesus, the more you disciple under him, the more that you know who you are and listen to him as your teacher and rabbi, the more creative and unique you become. You have gifts that God has given you that you should work out in your life. You become a person of love and it, and it, and it makes itself beautiful like a, like a mosaic, right? We're all broken and shattered, but when we allow the spirit of God to put us back together, we Find our unique, beautiful, creative self. And we get to bring that into the community of God. We get to worship his goodness and know that he's called us into Christ-likeness to be ambassadors to the world, to be light in a dark place. And it makes us creative. And it makes us innovative. And it makes us take on the genius of the mind of Christ. But when we don't do those things, man, we fall into deformed, common denominator of like greed, lust, sin, evil, and it's all the same. So when you think of this enemy of our soul, flesh, what is the solution? Have you asked yourself that? Honestly, for years, I, I, I have been asking myself that because I, I've been following, I've been a disciple, I mean, my mom and dad, I was raised in the church, and then it had to become my own. You know, I call it like secondhand smoke, where you have to make a decision at some point. It's no longer mom and dad's faith. It's your faith. But there have been so many moments in my life with my Christian friends in high school where we just couldn't find the solution to our sin. And we would bear each other's burdens, and we would work through this stuff. And it's like, man, this stuff is so hard. But what I have learned is it's not, the solution is not willpower. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not like, I'm just going to try really hard to not sin. I'm going to try really, really, really hard. I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to stand in the mirror and give myself a speech and convince myself. And by the way, it can work for a little bit. It does. But eventually that willpower 
it does not have strength over the lies of the enemy. It doesn't have strength over the flesh. It's not like, it's like we have a Bible study and identi- identify all the sin in our flesh and then try harder to stop doing those things. And the question, honestly, we need to ask ourselves is, is that working? Is that working in your life? Are there still things in your life that wherever you're at in Christ-likeness, wherever you're at in the journey, because everyone's on a different journey, right? When you start and when you get deeper and when you know him more. But like my question to you is like, have you gotten to a point where you've rid yourself of those habits of sin that have created really distorted things in your mind and your being and your flesh? And if you haven't tackled those things, you have to take heed that the enemy is at work in your soul. And I know we don't want to hear this half the time, but it's just the truth. So the solution, you want to know the solution? The solution is the Spirit's power, not willpower. And you might be like, oh, man, that's really spiritual. (laughs) And it's like, well, we're all practitioners, and I have been practicing this, and I have been following the ways of the word and obeying the scriptures and abiding and taking on the practices of Jesus. And I've recognized that when I stand in the mirror and I give myself that like pump up talk, I have the spirit of God with me. And I lean on him and not my own understanding. And I follow his way and not my way. And I realize it is the spirit's power in my life, not willpower. If I could use this language, it's to habituate your heart or to become accustomed to obedience to Jesus through practices or spiritual disciplines that enable you to yield your heart over to God. Do you hear what I said? Like this is, this is, this is the main point if you want to take notes. It's to habituate your heart, meaning to change habits to your heart, to put habit and practice in your heart, become accustomed to obedience to Jesus through practices or spiritual disciplines that enable you to yield your heart over to God. And then you return to him each and every day, embracing the empowerment of his spirit to overcome sin and the flesh in our lives. Does that make sense? This is in fact the good news or the gospel. It's to open up your inner man or your inner woman through apprenticing under Jesus and abiding in him and then moving into action and practice. This allows us to be set free from the deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires. This allows freedom to take place in our life when we take on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we can be set free and become free because honestly, theologically, you are already set free. But then my question to you is, why are you living in bondage? Why are you feeding the cravings of the flesh? So we must pay attention to men and women. Here's my thought. Worship, you guys can come up. We have to pay attention to men and women that have been following Jesus for a long time. But, but notice what I'm about to say. You can be following Jesus for like 20, 30 years and you haven't lived out any practices or disciplines in your life. There's been no habit to doing things. It's like, 
like, you wake up in the morning and, like, do you brush your teeth? Hopefully you do, right? Has that not been a habit in your life? Honestly, like, that's a habit, right? And why do you do, why do you brush your teeth? So you don't get cavities and gunk and your breath doesn't smell, right? So you're cleansing your teeth when you brush it every morning. Why wouldn't we do that when we're a disciple of Jesus? Imagine if you took up your cross and said, I have anxiety in my life. And you know where anxiety comes from? It comes from control. I want to control this thing or this person or my son or my daughter. I want to control this outcome. Like they got to go to college and get a good career. They got to do these things. I want to control my boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, ah, and then you get anxious, right? And your heart beats a lot. And there's just, you fed into the lie so many years. And now you're walking around saying, I, 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 I have anxiety in my life. And I'm not dismissing the medical side of this, but what if we learned in practice and habit to give our entire beings with a fully surrendered heart towards God? I can't control, I can't control, I can't control. I can't control what Kelly does. I really can't. They say at year like seven or eight for my friends that have been married that long, psychologists say that those years you realize I can't control them. Honestly, the, the spike goes up in year 8.5. Why? Because you realize, oh, dang, I can't change Kelly. Kelly can't change me. You have to learn to live and to abide and to love and to take action. So my question to you, my friend, is are you practicing anything when it comes to following and discipling under Jesus? Or is it just... I came and I did my dues and I, 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 I served and I read the word and I'm good now. But I pay attention to the old, like I call them gurus, those sages that have been following Jesus for like 30 years. And when I get close to them and I go get coffee, it's like we sit down and they're so calm. I'm like, man, you're like really calm right now. And they're just not, if I could use this language, they're a non-anxious presence. And then I talk, and I'm like, man, I got this going on, and life is busy, and, you know, we have, like, two little kids, and it's just so crazy, and I don't even, I didn't know how hard it was going to get, getting hard. And he's like, yeah, it's going to get harder. But that's okay. And then he asked me, and then a, a spiritual, like, kind of mentor was like, but how, how, how are you doing with Jesus? Oh, good, good, you know, and well, he's like, don't focus so much on like, you know Jesus can grow the church, right? That's what he told me. You know Jesus can grow the church? I'm like, yes, of course. And he's like, I, I think you should focus on digging a very deep well with Jesus. If you focus on that, if you focus on digging the deepest well with Jesus, you learn how to live and breathe and walk with God. Because I want to be that person. I don't know about you. Like I do. I want to be that person that someone can come to me, right? And I can speak life into them, but I'm not anxious. I'm working on that, man. Like I get all flustered when things happen, <laughs> right? I want to know, I want to learn how to kill my flesh 
so that I get to a point where I actually know, oh my goodness, I said this last week, I'm about to sin if I do this. Have you got to that point yet? Or do things just come out and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could grab those words back. What does James say? Be slow to speak, right? Learn how to take on, but we cannot do this unless we take on the practices of Jesus. I'm sorry if that sounds legalistic, friend. It's not. When you take on the practice, you love him, you know him, you, you receive his goodness. On a Monday morning, you wake up really early and you get your coffee, because I'm addicted to coffee, and you, you take the sip of coffee and you just breathe in God's goodness. Father, what, what do you want me to do today? What, what, what attribute of the Spirit do you want me to take on today? Love, I'll take that on. Self-control, I'll take that on. And that's how we imagine you did that for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. I guarantee you, you will become a person after God's heart. And your body, people will be able to experience that around you. I want to be like Jesus where I can walk in a room and tax collectors and sinners are talking about me. And it's no big deal. But I really care what people think sometimes. So that's not good for Sammy because I'll really care. But that's because I need to make sure who my identity is in. Right? It's in Christ. In Christ alone. So you could say whatever you want. I'll just take that to God and ask what he thinks about it. But I have to learn how to become that person, and it takes time, and it takes discipline, and it takes seeking him, and it takes knowing him. It takes being in community with one another. Is this making sense? You guys good? So I want to come against the enemy of the flesh in our community in my own life. And there's a deep happiness and contentment, by the way, that comes over the disciple of Jesus who has crucified their flesh a deep happiness of joy and a deep contentment that comes when we crucify the flesh. And that happiness, that joy is available to all of us when we take our cross, deny ourselves, and pursue a life with Jesus. So your homework this week, you have homework. I've been doing this every week. Um, If you weren't here last week, uh, Kelly, I think it's up. Yeah, we're good. So if you just go on our website, coinchurch.org, on the top right corner, there are those three lines. Click it, and it says homework, and you'll be able to kind of take this practice with you. I I put some questions in there so you can think through in a community or with a friend and write them down and think think about them and where you're at with, with God. Amen? You guys good? All right, will you stand with me as we finish in worship?